Normal broadcasting has been discontinued. Coming to you from Portland, Oregon. The sports business capital of North America. Keep your radio tuned to this frequency. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. Now, your host. I tell you, I've never seen anything like that guy. Brian Berger. Well, thanks for checking out the only show in the country dedicated to covering the business side of sports. Happy holidays. Hope you had a Merry Christmas. Happy Hanukkah. Happy Kwanzaa. Happy Festivus. Everything else to you. And uh, we are counting down the top 10 sports business radio, sports business stories of the year 2008. We counted down stories 10, 20 to 11 last week. You can find those on our blog at sportsbusinessradio.com. We are counting down stories 10 to 1 this week, our last show of the year. If you disagree with any of the stories on our list, we'd love to hear from you. You can tell us that we're way off the mark, or you can say, you know, you got it exactly right. You can send me an email at brian at sportsbusinessradio.com. Would love to hear from you. I'm joined in studio by Nathan Roach, Bobby Corser. Guys, hope you've had a good uh, holiday so far. Uh how are the holidays? Oh, holidays were fantastic. Spent the holidays with the in-laws this year for the first time, so uh, that was certainly a great time. Excellent. Anytime you're with the in-laws, it's always uh, loads of joy. Yeah. Let me just tell you, if you want to know how it is to spend the holidays with the in-laws, <laughs> go see Four Christmases with Vince Vaughn. Oh, I Vaughn saw, I saw it. It is fantastic. And I come from divorce family, so you know when you have to go visit all the different sets of parents, this was a classic movie. I think we'll see it on HBO or on regular TV, TNT, TBS, every year during the holidays. It is an instant classic. Like like va- like Christmas Vacation. Christmas Vacation, Christmas Story, uh, The Santa Home Claus. Alone. We were talking about Home that last alone. week. Yes, these are all good movies. But Four Christmases, I'll tell you, I think it may be Vince Vaughn's best movie. Well, uh, <laughs> let's get down to the sports stories then. So the top 10 sports business stories of the year, we've gotten our crack staff together. We've gotten the input from some of our, our audience. And, you know, as I said last week, I don't know that the top 10 stories are quite as epic as last year's top 10 stories. We don't have the Mitchell report. We haven't seen quite the fall from Grace like we did with Michael Vick. But there are some big stories on this list, and we will get to all of those coming up next. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We're counting down the top 10 Sports Business Stories of 2008. We'll be right back. This is Brian Berger from Sports Business Radio. I know many of our listeners dream of a job in the sports industry but don't know where to begin. To me, it's an easy call. Go where sports business education got its start at the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. As the first business school in the country to offer undergraduate and graduate programs themed around this multi-billion dollar industry, the Warsaw Center offers a unique blend and strong general business training, sports business curriculum taught by industry experts, and rich out-of-classroom experiences, including real-world consulting projects, study tours, and internships. With a strong industry and alumni network and a staff dedicated to accelerating your career, the Warsaw Center has a proven track record of placing students in teams, league offices, corporate sponsors, marketing agencies, sports media, and sports shoe and apparel firms. But like any elite team, there's only a few spots on the roster. To learn more, visit sportsbusinessradio.com for a link to the center's website. The Warsaw Sports Marketing Center. Passion, integrity, and leadership in sports business education. Back to Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger. We are back, and this is the final edition of Sports Business Radio for the year 2008. We're counting down the top 10 sports business radio, sports business stories of the year. 
Story number 10, the Seattle Sonics, now the Oklahoma City Thunder. So Seattle has a long-time NBA franchise, and they move. Clay Bennett and company, villains forever in Seattle, move the Sonics to Oklahoma City. And, you know, we talked about this many times on our show, Nathan, but basically Clay Bennett bought the team from Howard Schultz, who the Starbucks founder, and everyone in the group was comprised of people from Oklahoma City. So you can't say that you're shocked that Clay Bennett and his group said, you know what, we want to move the team to Oklahoma City. But I guess it's a little bit surprising how quickly it came together. I mean, basically, he waved $75 million in front of the city of Seattle, and they said, all right, that's our our price. Then Clay Bennett had to pay by some reports, another $50 million in relocation fees to the other owners in the NBA. The Board of Governors approved the move, and very soon, very quickly, this all came together, and now we have the Oklahoma City Thunder and Seattle, who had a team for nearly four decades, now doesn't have an NBA team. Well, and we're, we're learning what a big bad move that was on the Sonics, at least in terms of their return on investment. They spent over $400 million to move the team and get the team there. And now they are just losing money. The team is on track to be one of the worst records in the history of the NBA. And so, you know, you can't just blame Clay Bennett here. You have to blame Howard Schultz. And frankly, I think you have to blame a little bit the city of Seattle. They really just kind of rolled over and uh, and played dead on this one. Absolutely. But you also have to remember, though, that Clay Bennett has now also gotten, though, the city of Oklahoma City, gotten their fans behind him, gotten businesses involved, the government's involved, and everybody welcomed them with open arms. So maybe it was a catch-22. Okay, so he told Seattle to go, eh, go do whatever, and then, you know, Hey, we're moving to Oklahoma City where they're going to love us. But Yeah, but any time, Bobby, that you have a city that has been in your league for nearly 40 years, if that city goes away, that is bad for your league. And then if you look at what the city of Seattle meant, you know, it's a, a rivalry for the Portland Trailblazers. Uh, it's a gateway to the Far East, which is an important market for the NBA. We've seen all they've done in China. I just don't see how it's a good thing. And plus, you're going from... You know, one of the, the bigger markets in the United States to a, a mid-sized market. But you know what? Like like I asked you with New York, why did David Stern allow it to happen? You know, he, he tried to sit there. He, listen, they tried to step in and mediate. Yeah, I understand that. But you know what? Listen, once Clay Bennett bought the team and Howard Schultz said, all right, you know what's sold? Listen, we all knew it was coming. We talked about it two years ago on the show. We knew they were going to move to Oklahoma City. Yeah, I mean, we did talk about that. Again, I'm a little surprised how quickly... The city of Seattle sold their soul. I mean, as soon as they said 75 mil, they said, ah, we're done. We're in. That's a that's a good number for us. And, you know, they, they threw the city under the bus and threw the Sonics fans. But I will say this. Sonics fans, Sonics business people had every opportunity to keep this team in Seattle. And they didn't step up to the plate. They, and, they and, needed to get an arena deal done. Right. And, and you know, look, I don't really blame the taxpayers because we're seeing this around the country. Taxpayers in Seattle did not want to pay the freight for a new arena. And they said, look, any investor, including Clay Bennett, if you want to build a new venue, go ahead. We'll come to the games, but we're not going to pay for you to build that venue. That is a theme we saw over and over and over again around the country this year. Well, and yeah, I mean, think about the Seattle taxpayers already had to put money towards Seahawks Stadium. Quest Field, so they were burnt out on paying and for Safeco. these and Safeco, uh, and so they were burnt out on having to pay for these stadiums. Is when you got rich owners, I think people are tired of paying for them. 
All right, our ninth biggest story of the year, 2008. Yankee Stadium shuts its door. So does Shea Stadium, by the way. But Shea Stadium doesn't have anywhere near the history that the house that Ruth built does. And, you know, it was very interesting to see that last game. And this was a sad day for me, you guys, because there's just so many ghosts running through the outfield. And, and I just, you know, anytime you see venues like Yankee Stadium torn down and, you know, we think about Fenway Park and Wrigley Field and how long will they be around, Lambeau Field, there are just certain landmarks in the United States. And I can't think of them being torn down. I understand from a business perspective why the Steinbrenners would want to move into a new stadium. You know, it's a new billion-dollar stadium, so many more revenue streams with suites and concessions and merchandise, and it's a modern facility. I get all that. But to do it at the expense of a stadium that was really one of the iconic landmarks in the United States, it's a little bit sad for me. Well, yeah, I understand building a new stadium, but... Keep the old stadium around. I had the opportunity to go to New York and at least see Yankee Stadium. It's one of the few places that I'm bummed that I never got to. But like we see in foreign countries, those historical landmarks stay intact. And the same should have been true for Yankee Stadium, the old Yankee Stadium. Leave it there as a landmark where people can visit and walk around and take tours. And The, the real and, estate's too expensive. I, they would I, never I, do that. I know, but that, that's the disappointing thing on my part. Yeah, and, you know, the interesting thing is, too, let's talk about the Yankees in general for a moment. Because they have all these new added revenue streams, they can go out and sign C.C. Sabathia to a $160 million contract. They can sign A.J. Burnett for $82 million. They can pay A-Rod is two fifty two, and Derek Jeter is one eighty nine. They have one of the most expensive payrolls in all of team sports, not just Major League Baseball, but any team. And when you have a stadium that has all these little revenue, I mean, this is basically from the way people have described it. I haven't seen it yet, but it's like the four seasons of Major League Baseball. It is going to be decked out. They're going to make money hand over fist with all these different revenue streams. So the Steinbrenners are putting some of that money back into signing free agents, but they spent $200 million this year. And they need to make the playoffs. So they better hope that the players they're signing are going to be worth the investment. And I think that's what the argument Nathan and I have had off the air many times. Just because you're going to spend all this money on players doesn't mean it's going to bring you a return. Did you guys like have a fist fight about this? No, no. We just you know we have friendly discussions. Yeah, friendly about stuff discussion. Like, like, here's the thing. You mentioned uh, all the features that this stadium is going to have just from the outside, just standing in front of it from the outside. You get a sense for what this stadium is. All right, our eighth biggest story of. The year 2008, staying in Major League Baseball, the Tampa Bay Rays, a dismal, disappointing franchise before this season. They made it all the way to the World Series. They did it with a $43 million payroll. They had a payroll ranking 29th out of the 30 teams. This is a remarkable story because this is like the L.A. Clippers going to the NBA Finals with the second lowest payroll in the NBA. And to make it even more impressive... Tampa Bay was in the AL East, a division that has the Yankees, the number one payroll in Major League Baseball, and the Red Sox, the number two payroll in Major League Baseball. So they had to beat out two teams that had far more money to spend than they did, and they still did it and got all the way to the World Series. That's impressive. Well, yeah, and this is a perfect transition from what we were just talking about. The fact is, like Bobby just said, just because you spend a boatload of money does not mean you're going to get anywhere with it. We've talked about this for the last five years on this show, it seems like. 
a lot of the times the teams that mesh well together and don't have five all-stars on their team are the ones that are making it to the championship. A-Rod is still ringless. Well, and the interesting will be, you know, Tampa Bay or any of these smaller market teams with lower payrolls. We've seen the Florida Marlins have this happen a few times. They win a World Series then they have to dismantle the team because when the guys become really successful and they become free agents, they don't have the payroll and the resources to pay them the big money. So that's when these players go sign with the Yankees and the Red Sox and the Angels and the Dodgers because those are big market teams with big payrolls. So I think Tampa Bay is going to be competitive for a few years, but it's going to be interesting to see can they be competitive for the long term when they're free agents want to get paid big bucks. The one thing I will say that's impressive, too, about the Rays is they're run by a bunch of Wall Street guys. Stuart Sternberg was a guest on our show. He's a Wall Street guy. Uh, Andrew Friedman, the GM, is a Wall Street guy. These guys took their business sense, and it translated to sports, and they did as good a job as anyone in all of sports, not just Major League Baseball, in all of sports this year. And if you can take a team with such a low, low payroll and get them all the way to the World Series— that's super impressive. The only thing I'd say is the same thing I saw said last week was how surprised I was that up until they made the playoffs, the stadium was virtually half empty. There were not fans going out to watch the games. So that will be their challenge. How do they make their success from last year transcend into long-term ticket sales success, merchandise success, sponsorship success, and otherwise? All right. Our top seven stories of the year 2008 coming up next. Happy Holidays. Sports Business Radio talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports. My guest is Dallas Mavericks owner Mark Cuban. Let's go back to the year 2000. The year before you bought the Mavericks, they were 40 and 42. Fan interest was pretty lukewarm. When you bought this team, what did you see in this team? What was the potential that you saw to get them to where they are today? Probably none. (laughs) Brian Berger goes one-on-one with the biggest names. My guest is Dr. Miles Brand, the president of the NCAA. I think the reason why we have a BCS-type system in Division 1A and elsewhere we have playoffs is that the schools in Division 1A feel that the regular season is the most important aspect of football. Read the Sports Business blog and listen to SBR On Demand at SportsBusinessRadio.com. See, I think that's the big thing. Sports Business Radio, Saturday <laughs> or online at SportsBusinessRadio.com. This is Sports Business Radio. All right, three stories down, seven to go. We are counting down our top ten stories of the year 2008 here on Sports Business Radio. Story number seven. The New York Giants defeat the New England Patriots in the Super Bowl, a thrilling game, one seen by millions of people around the world, one that brought $2.7 million for a 30-second spot. But the number one thing people will remember about this game, guys, is that the Giants ended the Patriots' potentially perfect season. Going into that game, they had a perfect regular season. They won their two playoff games. They were striving for perfection. They were trying to equal the 1972 Miami Dolphins with a perfect season. And imagine all of the marketing opportunities and things that would have followed if they had had that perfect season. And it was one of the bigger upsets 
in Super Bowl history. Well, and it catapulted Eli Manning into that marketing realm. We started seeing him in more commercials. You know, people started talking about him as if he was a legitimately great quarterback because of that last play, of course. And the best part about this game for me is so many times in the last couple of years, we've seen sporting events, the, the championship games, that are a wash. They're a blowout in the Super Bowl. We were lucky this year. The NCAA tournament came down to the wire, and the Super Bowl came down to the wire exactly the way it should be for those championship games. Definitely. Now, there were some thrilling events this year, and we'll get to a few coming up in our other top stories of 2008. But, you know, this other thing about the Super Bowl is, you know, Eli Manning, you hit it on the head, Nathan. He's always been Peyton's little brother. Uh, he folded under pressure. He really did great in the playoffs. He was incredible on the big stage of the Super Bowl. Now we've seen him come into his own this year, and he's become a marketing darling uh, it's funny because anytime Peyton turns down a commercial, it's like, well, let's go get Eli then. And and Eli has established his own identity and reputation, and um, he's a little bit more shy than Peyton is. Peyton seems to have a little better sense of humor. We've seen Peyton host Saturday Night Live and things like that. But uh, this was an epic win for the Giants, not only for Eli and for their own franchise, but to keep the Patriots from truly being historic. You know, this was the true case of the underdog winning the big game when they needed to. You know, we had the fortune of going to Morton's, and the thing I'll remember most about the Super Bowl is having a really nice steak and hanging out with my two buddies over here across wow. the way from the microphone. That was a good steak, and it, we watched on the on the big screen. It was, and, you know, we had a blast. But the thing is, we all talked about that night is, wow, wouldn't it be cool if the Giants could come back and win this game? We thought, you know, what? talk about the upset. Talk about the potential that they would have. You know, we all know that Sports Illustrated rolls out their little commemorative editions. Hey, here's the hardbound book. Here's your football. You know, hey, celebrate the championship with the Giants. But that has really carried over into this year. Well, and Bobby, you bring up a good point. It's those types of events, sporting events in history, that you look back and you remember where you were, what you were doing, and what the game was like. I mean, how many championships, World Series, Super Bowl, uh, Super Bowls, where you can actually remember what two teams were playing for one and where you were at for two? And, you know, it, it even goes further than that. You know, we all remember where we were when David Tyree made that catch against his helmet. You know, that's going to be that one play that stands out from that game. All right, the sixth. Biggest story of the year 2008, and this is a sad one. Gene Upshaw, the longtime leader of the NFL Players Association, a Hall of Fame player with the Oakland Raiders. He dies of cancer, suddenly leaving the NFL Players Association without their leader of, of many, many years. And, guys, the thing that was so surprising about this story is really even his closest friends didn't know he was sick. He was diagnosed with cancer, and one week later he was dead. And you know, this is a guy who kept things to himself and was such a, a warrior. But if you look at what this means for the NFL Players Association, it's a huge, huge void. I mean, he had big shoes literally and figuratively to fill. And now you look at the looming work stoppage coming up uh, on the horizon for the NFL. And it's going to be very, very important for the NFLPA who they name as the replacement to Gene Upshaw. And can that person work with Roger Goodell and the owners to get a deal done? This is the number one sports league in the United States. It makes billions of dollars from its TV deal. But there are many of the owners in the league that are crying poor and saying the economics as they currently are laid out right now just don't work anymore. Well, yeah, and he was such an advocate for the players, obviously, as the head of the players' union. But the players respected him and they trusted him. And now I think finding someone to fill those shoes that they can put their trust and put their faith that they're going to act as a, 
a liaison for them is going to be tough for most of the players. I absolutely agree with Nathan. You know, my question is, they have to find somebody who's going to sit down with Roger Goodell. But will Roger Goodell really, you know, kind of respect the guy like he would Upshaw? Upshaw had been around for so long and had to deal with all the other commissioners, Taglibu and everybody else. You know, what does Goodell do? Does Goodell have his hands tied? Because, you know, will he feel bad that, you know, okay, this is a guy that's got to come in and replace a legend? Or will Goodell, you know, play hardball with the guy and say, listen, we got to get the deal done. you got to make it happen. Well, look, the bottom line is this. They better get a deal done, and the, the public doesn't care how a deal gets done, as we say all the time. We don't want to hear about the labor pains. We just want to see the baby. They <laughs> just want a deal done. The average Joe Sixpack that goes to the bar or turns on his direct TV on Sundays – just wants to watch NFL football. He doesn't care how the deal gets done. He just wants to make sure it's done. And there are billions of dollars to divide. So people don't care how you get a deal done. You better get it done. But choosing a replacement for Gene Upshaw will be an epic task for the NFL Players Association. Well, and it's interesting, given the state of the economy right now, how this is going to change the the landscape of these deals and getting these deals done. I mean, people are not spending money, and now owners really do have somewhat of a genuine genuine argument for the fact that they're not making as much money. Well, and we've seen the NFL League office, and we've seen uh, some teams have to lay employees off. And again, uh, it's tough times right now, and people don't have the sponsor dollars, the marketing dollars. Uh, Joe Sixpack doesn't have the money to plunk down on an NFL ticket and some hot dogs and beers at the game and a merchandise or, you know, a, a jersey or two. So it's different times, and, and we'll get to that as one of our other top stories of the year. But uh, it's going to be interesting to watch the NFL in 2009 and not so much what's going on on the field, but what's going on behind the scenes. Joe Sixpack, are you uh, Sarah Palin? Are you pulling out some Sarah Palin stuff here? <laughs> no, I didn't mean to pull. <laughs> All right, let's not go there. All right, the fifth biggest story of the year, 2008. Last year we saw the fall of Michael Vick. It seems every year we see the fall of some prominent athlete. This year it was none other than the Rocket, Roger Clemens. Roger Clemens at the end of last year was named in the Mitchell Report. Eyebrows were raised. Now, Roger Clemens has not been convicted of a crime. He's not been found guilty in the court of law. But in the court of public opinion... He certainly is looking pretty guilty right now. And in February, he and Brian McNamee, his former trainer, appeared in Congress on Capitol Hill, and it was on ESPN, and it was on all the TV stations. And I'll tell you what, Roger Clemens, much like Mark McGuire back in 2004, he certainly came off looking pretty guilty. And if you polled most people at the end of those congressional hearings, they didn't believe what Roger Clemens was selling. Well, and here's the thing. I mean, we've talked about this before. If you did it, even if you didn't do it, you better fight hard. But if you did it, just come out and people have already forgotten. Andy, for, Pettit, Andy Pettit, Jason Giambi. They, they've forgiven them. America is a very forgiving country. But if you lie to us, if you lie to the general public, they're going to go after you. And, and he... Even even if we find out that he's innocent, in the court of public opinion, people are not going to sign him in for marketing deals. His career as both a marketer and a baseball player are all but over at this point. Absolutely. And, you know, we like you said, this was on TV for, you know, a couple days straight. He was on 60 Minutes, oh, and was- he looked really guilty on 60 Minutes. I mean, look, one of the things I do when I'm not hosting this show is media train people. And you can tell when someone is looking guilty. There's body language going on. It's not just about what they're saying verbally. 
It's also their body language. And he looked so uneasy and so uncomfortable during that 60 minutes interview, wiping his brow, licking his lips. So many different signs that look like, gosh, this guy has, is, is hiding something. And it looks like there's so much evidence against him. And now we see that there may be some DNA samples that have been turned in by Brian McNamee that I guess were hidden behind a TV in his house. And it's very bizarre, but I think things are only going to get worse for Roger Clemens for here, from here on out. Well, and the only thing I was going to ask you, Brian, is at this point in the game, if Roger Clemens throws his arms up in the air and says, okay, all right, comes clean, now, now what is the future of Roger Clemens? Well, I think it's too late for the Hall of Fame. Uh, I think for, you know, I don't know. I think it's too late, Nathan. I mean, you know, the Hall of Fame voters are – that's the media. That's us. I, we don't have a Hall of Fame vote, but most of these baseball writers have already made their opinions about Roger Clemens, and they think he's used performance-enhancing drugs. The The sad thing is this, is that Roger Clemens, by many people's account, was the greatest pitcher of all time and had won numerous Cy Young Awards, has won a championship, and he would have gone down as one of the greatest pitchers ever. Now, this is a guy, like Barry Bonds, by some accounts, the greatest hitter ever, at least statistically. Neither one of these guys will be in the Hall of Fame, and they will be the poster children for the steroid era. You know, Roger Clemens had a really up-and-down year. I mean, there were some reports coming out saying, hey, maybe, you know, McNamee had lied about some stuff. So, you know, maybe his credibility was brought up a well, little bit. Well, yeah, McNamee is not a saint here. No, he's not. But you got, also got to remember, though, there were other things that came out about Roger Clemens. Did he have an affair with Mindy McCready? Did he, you know, do X, Y, and Z? There was a whole bunch of stuff that— not- That affects his marketing, and that affects, you know, is this guy really all that he's made out to be? But— as far as his Hall of Fame election and things like that, people don't care. There are a lot of people in the Hall of Fame, O.J. Simpson, that have done much <laughs> worse things than Roger Clemens did. So, But Roger Clemens, I think the media has already formed their opinions about him, and I will be very surprised, like Mark McGuire, like some of these other athletes, if he is, in fact, inducted into the Hall of Fame. It has been a rough year for the Rocket Roger Clemens and quite a fall from grace for him. All right, our top four stories of the year 2008 coming up right here on Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Malakalikimaka is a thing to say on a bright Hawaiian Christmas day. That's the island. Hi, this is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. When I'm looking for a place to have dinner with family, friends, or business associates, there's only one restaurant on my list. Morton's The Steakhouse, the best steak anywhere. In its 28th year in business, Morton serves only the finest quality foods, featuring USDA prime-age beef, fresh seafood, hand-picked produce, and decadent desserts prepared to perfection. Not to mention the award-winning wine list. When my destination is Morton's, the best is always on the menu. And they treat me like a VIP during every visit, whether in the dining room or the private boardrooms. With almost 75 restaurants conveniently located around the world, Morton's is the gold standard when it comes to steakhouses. To find the Morton's nearest you or to make a reservation, go online to mortons.com. Morton's, the best steak anywhere and the official steakhouse of Sports Business Radio. 
The website is sportsbusinessradio.com. We are back and counting down our top sports business stories of the year 2008. We are down to our final four. And the number four biggest story of the year 2008, and this could have been higher, but we put it at number four. You might disagree with us. Tiger Woods wins the U.S. Open and then announces that he's out for the year with season-ending knee surgery. Now, Tiger Woods makes more money than any athlete on the planet when you come to endorsement money. He makes over $100 million in endorsements. We saw him lose his endorsement deal with GM this year. He was a spokesperson for Buick, but that was not because of this injury. That was because Buick and their uh, payroll went in the tank, and they needed to cut back on some money. So supposedly they were paying Tiger about $7 million a year and said we can spend that money to save some jobs. And, you know, a lot of these companies are cutting back on marketing, which we'll talk about in a minute. But Tiger Woods, I think it was such a hit to the PGA Tour for the face of golf to be out for the rest of the season. And by the way, the U.S. Open this year, I mean, we talked about the Super Bowl. We talked about the NCAA Finals with Kansas and Memphis. For my money, the most thrilling event that I watched all year long and one of the most thrilling events I've watched in a long time was the U.S. Open. Tiger Woods was out of his mind making putts, chipping in, and his playoff with Rocco Mediate on that Monday was just epic. Well, it was awesome to see because we talk a lot on the show about golf and how you know not as many people, the casual person, tunes into golf. On my lunch break, I went down to just a general restaurant, burger place, and it was packed at lunch on that Monday. It was a work day. People were working, but it was packed with people glued to the screen. And so that was incredible. And I- only Tiger Woods can do that. I mean, if, if Padraig Harrington, who was named PGA Player of the Year, and Sergio Garcia were in a playoff, guess what? People aren't leaving during lunch to go watch that playoff. They're only doing it when Tiger Woods, because Tiger Woods transcends golf. He brings in the casual golf fan, and that's why his absence this year on the tour not only hurt ticket sales, but really bummed out sponsors who had paid big money to be title sponsors of these events that they thought Tiger Woods would be playing. Well, and here's the other thing. One more quick point to disagree with you is that did you see the Ryder Cup? Did anybody watch the Ryder Cup? The Ryder Cup it was cool. Yeah, but, okay, it no, was but, cool. But there were so many. That doesn't people. help the PGA Tour, though. But but um, it helps golf, and helping golf helps the PGA Tour. We're introduced to players that play on the PGA Tour, like Boo Weekly, and now it's helped golf. So next time Tiger's not there, I mean, just this weekend I turn on a tournament. There's Boo Weekly. I'm watching it because I look. Do. Bacardi's and all these other sponsors aren't going to pony up a few million dollars because Boo Weekly's in the field. I'm sorry, <laughs> right, they Bobby. are going to do it if Tiger's in the field. Bobby, what do you got? But the thing that we're all missing out here is why were we watching the U.S. Open? Because Tiger was in it. Because Tiger and Phil were paired together. But what? But coming He's down, injured. it's a major. Exactly, Nathan Neal. He was hurt. And, well, but we had no idea to the level did, that he was hurt. We did not, but we knew. Listen, we all, knew the, going all, into all the talk so going into So you're saying you wouldn't have watched the U.S. Open unless Tiger was hurt. No, I'm not saying that. <laughs> I said the reason why people were tuning in is because you were seeing the most outrageous, extreme golfer to ever play the game basically play handicapped against probably the best number two guy in the field that time. You were seeing, would the mortal fall? Well, and the other thing that was compelling, frankly, about the U.S. Open was Rocco Mediate. This guy is no spring chicken. Absolutely. And has been on the tour for a long time. He's never won a major. 
And, you know, it was kind of like the, the local pro going head-to-head with uh, Jesus on, on the golf. <laughs> I mean, seriously, that's pretty much what it was. Is, is Some people out there actually were pulling for Rocco. They said, look, this guy's the everyman. He's taken on the champ, the guy who's the best golfer in the world today. And it was compelling. And, and there was cool uh, back and forth between Tiger and Rocco. You could tell the respect that Tiger had for Rocco, and Rocco obviously is very respectful of Tiger. He was just cool to watch, but the shots that were made by both of those guys during the weekend and during that playoff were really incredible. And you know, the the company that made out like a bandit with this was Nike, hands down, because you have both guys in the Nike stable, and they were just loving it. But my whole point about them being injured Listen, people tune in because Tiger was hurt, and they wanted to see, could Tiger play through the pain? Could Tiger overcome the adversity? Because, listen, frankly, he's never faced much adversity on the golf course. I agree with that. Well, and hopefully Tiger Woods returns to the golf course in 2009 and returns in time for the Masters, the first major of the year, because golf sorely needs him back out on the golf course. All right, the third biggest story of the year, 2008. Michael Phelps makes swimming cool. As Sports Illustrated said, there were swimming hangovers during the two weeks that Michael Phelps was swimming. Uh, This is a guy who captivated not only the United States, but the world. Swimming is not a sport that people tune into on a regular basis, but with his quest for all these gold medals, and he he wound up winning eight of them, more than anyone else in the history of the Olympics for a single Olympic Games, it was just really compelling. And some of these races were literally down to a tenth of a second in the margin of victory. So it was not only uh, he had some dominating performances, but you were tuning in to see, can this guy make history? That's why a lot of people tune in to watch Tiger Woods. That's why a lot of people tune in to watch other athletes. Can this person make history? Everyone wants to say, I was watching history when it was made. And with Michael Phelps, that's what we were doing. There were other tremendous performances in the Olympics, but Michael Phelps was the signature athlete during these Olympic Games. Well, and he became much more marketable. Obviously, he's become really the face of swimming. What I'll say, though, is that I don't think, even with all of his success at the Olympics, I know they're planning on televising more swimming events this year, I don't think that the casual fan is again going to tune in because they see Michael Phelps in the pool. It meant something because it was a gold medal. The casual fan does not understand world championships. They don't understand U.S. championships. They understand gold medals. And I don't think that everybody's going to be talking about Michael Phelps the weekend after a swim meet. Well, and the tough thing is, is that swim meets, you know, there's not a lot of prize money. It's not like you're going to the NFL or that there's a swim league where you make a lot of money. Uh, It's an individual sport. And even in tennis and golf, there's much bigger prize money. There's really no prize money in swimming. So, you know, how is he going to make his money? It's going to be from endorsements. Some people have estimated that over the over his career, over his life, he'll make $100 million total in endorsements. Well, that's what Tiger Woods makes in a year. And, hey, look, $100 million is nothing to shake a stick at. I'd take it in a second. But the point is, is that Michael Phelps, you know, where does he make his money? How long can he last? He is going to be in London in 2012 if things go according to plan. That will be another chance for him to be in the spotlight, another chance for him to show his marketability. People will continue to pay him big money as long as he's in the spotlight. But once he's not swimming anymore, then that's when we're going to see, does this guy have staying power and will he be able to still command a large paycheck when he's not in the pool. Well, I think the biggest thing that hurt Michael Phelps from a marketability standpoint is right after the Olympics, Nike decided to pull out 
of swim, of making swim gear. And I think that that was a big opportunity for Michael Phelps to become a Nike athlete. We all know Nike athletes have the potential to make a lot of money, and I think that hurt Phelps. I agree, but you also have to remember, Speedo also gave him a million-dollar bonus for winning all eight gold medals. Which, again, a million bucks is nothing to shake a stick at. But no. in his world, you know, I watched a 60 Minutes feature with him, and literally, you know, during the piece, he's on the phone with his agent, and they're turning down a $5 million deal. So, you know, a million bucks is nice, but guess what? Speedo came out way ahead of that deal because they got much more than a million dollars worth of uh, exposure in the media than uh, they did by having to pay that out. Well, see, and if I'm Michael Phelps, I answer those $5 million deals immediately because as the Olympics— you know, drifts into the past, the luster of his gold medal starts to wear off a little bit on marketers. So if I'm him, I would have been on the phones right after the Olympics. Well, they were, but I think what they're doing is they're kind of taking a page from the Tiger Woods playbook. We want five- and ten-year partnerships. We don't want one-off deals where you're going to pay us a bunch of money and we're going to do a three-month campaign like and the then we're going to go away. He's doing. Have you seen the ad campaign? Rosetta for, Stone. Yeah, Rosetta Stone. You think that's a long-term deal? I think that that's probably two years. Hey, I don't know. We'll, we'll have to see. So Michael Phelps and his marketability will definitely be a thing to watch for in, in 2009 and years ahead. All right, the number two biggest story of the year 2008, this kind of same realm as Michael Phelps, but China owns the world stage during the Olympics. We talk so much about how's China going to do during the Olympics. Are there going to be protests? Are there going to be any terrorist activities? Uh, we did see a, a person killed there in the early days of the Olympics, which was very tragic. Um, but all in all, China got pretty good reviews for hosting the Olympic Games. Well, and my mom was over there for the full month working for NBC, and she had nothing but fantastic things to say from right there on, you know, on the NBC compound, walking around. We questioned whether or not China was really going to be able to pull this off with you know, the communism thing, the air pollution. Uh, but all in all... They did a fantastic job and wowed the as world. As far as we know. As far as we know. As far as we know. I mean, know. these are the, the fake same fireworks. People, yeah, the fake fireworks. <laughs> you know, this could have all been computer generated and, and <laughs> you know, maybe none really of it really win. happened. Yeah, Michael Phelps didn't win. Maybe it was medals. all just one big video game. No, but seriously, you know, from a security standpoint, it was a success. The opening and closing ceremonies were a success. Uh, didn't seem like... Uh, you know, there were too many problems with the actual coordination of the games and the operations at the venues. Uh, NBC had pretty good coverage. I think people were pretty pleased with that. The one thing that was a knock on NBC was uh, showing things live versus tape delayed. That's something that they'll have to get worked out in the future. The online success of the Olympics was, you know, more than we've ever seen before. And, and you know, I'm sure 2010 in Vancouver and 2012 in London will only get better for people being able to watch the Olympics live online, so that was a good thing. No, absolutely, and that's one of the things we're talking about. This is the future of the way that you're going to watch sports moving forward. Talk about the NCAA tournament. On our iPhones. Talk, yeah, the iPhones. I mean, that's the iPhone in the last year has really revolutionized how we're going to watch this stuff. All right, the number one story of the year 2008, and keep your eye on it for 2009 because it could be number one for 2009 too. The slumping economy. I mean, this is a big story throughout the world, but it is really going to impact the sports world. I think we're going to see more teams sold than we've ever seen before. We've seen the NFL, Major League Baseball, uh, NBA. NBA. All of these leagues have had to lay off workforce and employees. Teams have had to cut back. We're seeing free agents that some are getting big money, but then the middle class has kind of gone away. 
uh, sponsorships for golf events, for tennis tournaments, for NASCAR races. These are all things that are being affected because your companies like GM and AIG and Merrill Lynch are all needing financial assistance and bailouts packages and, and all these kinds of things. So this is a huge, huge story that's not only going to be big for 2008, but also for 2009. Well, and let's not forget how new president-elect Barack Obama's tax plan is going to affect some of these athletes. You know, these athletes are making more than $250,000 a year. These athletes are going to be hit, I hate to use the word hard, but they're going to be hit financially where they haven't been hit before. So that's certainly another arm of this. You know, the one thing, you know, we found out this week and we talked about last week about, you know, arena football. Yes, it doesn't draw a whole bunch. And yeah, okay, so they're on ESPN. They voted this week to kill the season. Right. And we're going to see other leagues, the secondary leagues, you know, whether it's the WNBA or AFL. These are leagues that are really going to take the hit the most because if you're a sponsor and you can sponsor the NBA, the NFL, or you can put a little bit of money into the AFL or into some of these other leagues, you're going to take your money away from the smaller leagues, and you're going to put it in the big league. That's what you're going to do. Well, keep your eye on hockey, too, because I, hockey, I think, is in a little more trouble than uh, what we're talking about right now. You know, and you brought it up again last week, another great point. Look at the sale of Chicago Cubs. It's, it's been on the table now, and it's going to come to a point where whoever ends up winning that bid is going to basically walk away with probably the steal of the century when it comes to a sports franchise. Could be. I mean, they were talking about a billion dollars going into this thing, and now they're talking about 800 to $850 million for the team and for Wrigley Field. So, you know, the other thing, too, is uh, in addition to the economy, we're going to see a lot of teams sold. I wrote this on my blog a few weeks ago. We're going to see a lot of teams sold in 2009 because when President Obama comes into office, you're going to see the wealthy taxed much more heavily than they have been in the past. So if you've been an owner and you've made a good chunk of change with your franchise value increasing and you're a little older or you just decide, you know what, I'm going to be taxed more heavily than I ever have been before, 2009 might be the year that you decide I'm going to sell my franchise. We've seen the Padres go up on on the block. The Cubs are up on the block. Uh, there's been talk about the Pittsburgh Steelers going up for sale. We're going to see some big franchises that are going to be sold. But then, like I said, tennis, golf, NASCAR, these are all events that uh, and, and leagues that are really going to be impacted by the slumping economy. All right, that is our list. The top 20 sports business stories of the year. They will all be on our website at sportsbusinessradio.com. We're going to come back with final thoughts On the year 2008, maybe a prediction for 2009. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. This is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. We live in an age where everything is on the record. What we say anywhere, whether it's in an elevator, in an email, or during a conversation with a reporter, is now being broadcast instantaneously on YouTube, in a blog, or through the mass media. It's easier than ever to spot someone who has been traditionally media trained and is just giving you that same old boring PR speak. I want to help you navigate the tricky media landscape. When I'm not hosting Sports Business Radio, I team with former Nike PR director Lee Weinstein to form Evergreen Media Training. Evergreen Media Training assists individuals and groups by offering unique preparation and training catered to your specific needs. From explaining today's media environment to providing you with post-training, monitoring, and feedback, 
We'll guide you every step of the way. With nearly 40 years of combined experience working with some of the biggest names in the sports industry, we'll help you communicate your messages honestly, thoughtfully, and from the heart. For an overview and a list of services, visit evergreenmediatraining.com or email me at brian at sportsbusinessradio.com. This is Sports Business Radio. We are back with our final segment of the year 2008. It's been an exciting year. Lots of terrific guests on the show. I want to thank all of them. Thank our staff, which we'll get to in a minute. But first, Nathan Roach, Bobby Corser. Nathan, uh, give me one bold prediction for the year 2009. Can I get a drum roll, please? This year, the Chicago Cubs are going to win the World Series. 2009 is the year. You say that every year. So you're saying they're going to get sold, and the new owner in Mark the first Cuban's year— Mark going to come in and kill it. Oh, God. You're getting kicked off this show. I mean, I'd like to see Mark Cuban own them, but the chances of Mark Cuban owning them are not much greater than of me owning them. Oh, Bobby. Wow. I'm going to go—I kind of did this last year, but I, I really believe this is going to happen this year. I think Tiger comes in back to the game of golf, and I think he takes three of the four majors this year. Wow. That is a pretty bold prediction because uh, you're assuming Tiger's— Going to get back to top form right away. I'm going to say that uh, there's going to be a cancellation of a race in NASCAR. I think that they're going to have sponsorship problems, and I think we're going to see a race canceled in NASCAR, which I don't know how bold of a prediction that is, but it kind of plays on the economy, and I wouldn't be surprised if we see a PGA Tour event canceled at the last second, too. So... uh, Watch for those things. I just think the economy is going to be a really big story in the year 2009. All right. Lots of thank yous for our show. Nathan Roach, Bobby Corser, Josh Blank, Darren Peck, Ron Barr, James Harris, and Doug Zanger. Our sponsors, Morton's The Steakhouse, the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon, ProTrade.com, and Evergreen Media Training, a podcast reminder. You can catch our show on demand via podcast every week. Just go to SportsBusinessRadio.com. Happy Holidays. Happy New Year's. Be safe, don't drink and drive, and we look forward to seeing you in 2009. You've been listening to Sports Business Radio. This is Sophia Barker. Happy Holidays. Sports Business Radio talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports. Robert Sarver, the owner of the Phoenix Suns. When people come to a Suns game, what kind of an experience do you want it to be for them? We want them to be entertained from the time they walk in to the time they leave. The co-owner of the Sacramento Kings, Gavin Maloof. Gavin, thanks for joining me. My pleasure, Brian. How are you? Dr. Miles Brand, the president of the NCAA. Sports Business Radio. Saturday. That's why you're a smart business person. (laughs) Or at sportsbusinessradio.com.